This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest philosophers to your fingertips. With more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more, The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Secret Life of Words, English Words and Their Origins. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard and the Manhattan Institute is legal analyst Adam White. Adam, another big day at the Supreme Court. Three uh, cases, of course, they've been overshadowed by uh, the sexier rulings regarding uh, Obamacare and same-sex marriage. Uh, what did the court do today? Well, the court finished up its homework on the way out to summer vacation. They issued a handful of decisions, none of them uh, nearly as publicly controversial as the big gay marriage and Obamacare cases, but pretty interesting in their own right. In one opinion, uh, a majority of the court, led by Justice Scalia, kicked the EPA for failing to take costs into account in setting big new rules for power plants. In another case, um, Justice Ginsburg, writing for the liberal majority, held uh, that Arizona voters could take the power of redistricting elections away from the legislature and put it, hand it over to a so-called independent commission. And in the third case, a uh, majority led by uh, Justice Alito uh, affirmed Oklahoma's use of a particular uh, drug cocktail in uh, capital punishment. Uh, I'm interested in the redistricting one because uh, some of the uh, complaints I heard about it involved the issues that Judge Roberts, Justice Roberts raised with the uh, Obamacare case, kind of reading words the way you want them to mean in order to, the way you want them to be read in order to get where you want to go. Is that a legitimate criticism of this, or did they have stronger uh, textual footing than they did in the Obamacare case? Well, it's, it, it's more than a little ironic, Michael. Uh, the U.S. Constitution says that the, uh, the time, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and congressmen shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. Now, last week we learned that in Obamacare, when it says state, it really means state or federal government. This week we learned that when the Constitution in this provision says the state legislature, they actually mean state legislature or voters acting outside of the legislature. <laughs> uh, now, now, the deeper irony is that the lead dissent in this case was written by Chief Justice Roberts, who spends page after page pointing out how ludicrous it is to interpret that provision of the Constitution as meaning, when it says legislature, actually meaning legislature or uh, the people. And so this, uh, you know, we, we actually laughed over this over the uh, uh, same-sex marriage case where we had another incident where the, you know, Justice Roberts' uh, you know, opinion, how dare we legislate from the bench? And people were like, what? Well, that's so different from 24 hours ago. Um, right. is, is there... Uh, what to a layman like me appears to be hypocrisy, or is there some fundamental view of judicial restraint that kind of cements Justice Roberts's decisions together in these most recent cases? Well, listen, if you wanted to uh, to, to to resolve what seems like a conflict between his position in the two cases, 
I guess you could say that in this new case, the Arizona redistricting case, this reinterpretation of the word legislature was just so preposterous in light of how the word legislature is used throughout the Constitution and the debates giving rise to the Constitution that even Chief Justice Roberts, if he couldn't get it right last week, even he couldn't get this one wrong uh, this week. But, you know, it's really going through the chief's uh, dissent in the Arizona case today. Uh, you really, there, there are a couple of really great lines in there. He points out that in the 17th Amendment a century ago, uh, Americans took uh, the power to choose senators away from, quote, the legislature and handed it to, quote, the people thereof. And Roberts says in his opinion today, he says, what chumps didn't they realize that all they had to do was, inter was interpret the constitutional term, the legislature, to mean the people? I mean, it's just such a good line. Surely he... He has to be aware of the, <laughs> of the of the difference between the two cases, exactly. and he's resolved in his own mind. I have to say, there are days when you're very glad to have the chief on your side. Some of his opinions are so well written, including his dissent last week in the same-sex marriage case. And, and, and the Arizona a, case is another example. As a as a political creature, as opposed to a legal creature, I find it more painful because it makes the politics more obvious. He's clearly not clueless. He's clearly not misguided. He just decided to put politics ahead. Uh, for whatever reason, the reputation of the courts or whatever ahead in the Obamacare decision. And that's what bothers me is I could I could link Obamacare and the same-sex marriage rulings because in both cases you could argue that the goal for the Roberts court was to stay out of the way. And so you know, we're going to fudge the words a little bit to stay out of the way of Congress and we're going to not have the court jump in on and, and declare what marriage shall be. We're going to stay out of the way and let the states do it. But now you throw in this one, and I'm totally lost now as to what the Chief Justice wants us to do. Well, Michael, you know, being since I am a lawyer, I always try to look at the best side of people and uh, be as positive <laughs> as possible. But, but sarcasm aside, you know, when you, when you note the conflict between the two, the two approaches, uh, his approach last week and this week, you really do think of uh, Justice Scalia's barb in his dissent last week where he said that it seems like the, the rules, the ordinary rules of interpreting laws just seem to go out the window when Obamacare is at issue. A very good point. Uh, let me ask you the other case, uh, and some people are calling it the only win for the for the Republicans, a win for the right, and that is that the EPA overstepped its bounds. Now that didn't overturn, that sends it back to the lower uh, to, back to the local level to find out how much it does cost to impose these regulations. Am I right? That's right. The court set aside the rule that the EPA had set out, but uh, that means that it gets remanded back to the EPA for a do-over consistent with the uh, procedural requirements that the court is reasserting, namely that they need to take into account the cost of this action before they proceed with regulating the, the uh, uh, emissions from power plants this way. Um, it was pretty remarkable. The court points out uh, that the cost of these regulations to power, point, to power plants would have been $9.6 billion a year, uh, and the quantifiable benefits, the benefits from this would have been 4 to $6 million a year. And in case I'm not coming through clearly, the costs were in the billions, the benefits were in the millions. And so it'll be interesting to see exactly how the EPA handles this on remand. Well, we know how it's going to be handled because, uh, once again, you handle the law, I handle the politics. Allies of, of the Obama administration are gleefully laughing, saying we could care less. We used the rule before, you know, once the rule was issued, we used it to beat the power plants into submission. They've already spent the money to make these drastic, expensive changes. And so now it really doesn't matter. The Supreme Court can rule whatever it wants. Too late, the money's been spent. Um, which brings us back to this 
whatever it takes to get where we want to go philosophy. And you, you just wonder, Adam, once again, for those outside the law, we look, it just looks more and more like people on the left truly do not care when it comes to the same-sex marriage ruling they don't ca they know that the ruling has little standing in the law they just don't care they got what they wanted ha 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 the EPA too late we got what we wanted ha 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 and maybe the most drastic example is two members of the Supreme Court declaring um, uh, the death penalty unconstitutional despite the fact that the phrase capital punishment <laughs> occurs repeatedly in the actual Constitution. Talk about just unmooring yourself from the text and going where you want to go. Well, that's right. In the Oklahoma case, uh, the point that Justice Alito makes right up front in his uh, opinion for the court is that it's because it's settled that capital punishment is constitutional, it necessarily follows that there must be a constitutional means of carrying it out. But nevertheless, in this case, you had, um, in addition to the vocal criticism of all four of the liberal justices uh, criticizing this particular approach by Oklahoma, you do have two of the justices, Justice uh, Breyer and Justice Ginsburg, basically saying outright in their dissent that they, they would like the court to reconsider whether uh, whether the death penalty can ever be constitutional at all. Now, I will say, if you go back over the history of the last couple of decades of the Supreme Court, there is something interesting where, as liberal justices uh, stay on the court longer and longer, it's almost it seems inevitable that at some point they 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 just take on the cause of outright abol abolition of the death penalty. I think it was Justice Blackman in the early 90s said he would no longer tinker with the machinery of death. And maybe Justice Breyer and Justice Ginsburg have just reached that inevitable stage in, in their time on the court where it's time for them now to take on the death penalty altogether. But take, how do you take on something that is in the Constitution? This is what I'm trying to figure out is how can you say in an argument you I mean you know lawyers are reading it you know you know constitutionalists are reading it. you've read all the previous judges works on all of these topics how do you say the the thing that's in the Constitution is not allowed by the Constitution well <laughs> I guess some, some <laughs> you, you stop me even me Michael I mean well, some parts it, of the Constitution are living so maybe some parts okay, of the Constitution okay. are dying too and, and Here, this is one of them. I found the solution for Oklahoma here's how it's gonna work we're gonna take the convicted mass murderer put him in a tank and start slowly filling it with water if he can explain how the Breyer and Ginsburg argument makes sense before the water completely fills the tank and he expires he gets to live that's our plan right there they've all got a fighting chance what do you think well, I'd love to see you explain that one to Justice Sotomayor. <laughs> she was particularly lively at the oral argument. This was a, if, if any of your listeners uh, heard this oral argument, it was really a sight to behold. The Oklahoma Solicitor General, who I'll confess is a friend of mine and, and one of my favorite lawyers, was trying to make his case before the, the bench, and Justice Sotomayor became so belligerent at oral argument, so argumentative, that Chief Justice Roberts actually gave the Oklahoma Solicitor General several extra minutes after his time had elapsed wow. because he'd been given so little time to talk. This is one of those issues where uh, where emotions really do overtake uh, reasonable discussion, especially on one side of the case. And, and that, I want to wrap up with that. Is I've heard from a lot of uh, people in you know, my talk radio show and, and the other work I do, in essence saying something has happened in America that feels new to us, and that is that we've entered an arena where the words in a law don't matter, the text of the Constitution doesn't matter, the only thing that matters is how do people feel. You read that uh, opinion, majority opinion from Justice Kennedy, and you know it's got beautiful soaring language in it that has absolutely nothing to do with anything about you know what is the government not allowed and not allowed to do. 
Do you think that that's happened? Do you think that we really are at a, a point where the kind of the utilitarian spirit of the left, they just want what they want and they feel it so deeply that not only are they going to shout down lawyers during uh, Supreme Court hearings, but they're just going to eventually use their power in the court if they can to get what they want without any, without even feeling the need to justify it as long as they feel it strongly enough? Well, let me, I'm going to agree with you, but let me add a few caveats first. One is, the court only hears a few cases relative to how many cases there are in the country every year. And so the cases they hear are of necessity the most controversial ones. And even among the cases that they take, that small set of cases, the vast majority of cases they decide are pretty mundane and they don't reach this level of, uh, of, 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 of emotion. But that said, you're right that every year there is this small subset of cases, the, the, the minority of the minority of cases in which uh, it does get very vocal, very loud, um, very emotional. And in those cases, it is hard to say that that ultimately all positions in the case really are dictated by a basis in law. Sometimes you look at it, and it's hard not to think that it really is just politics by other means. And emotional politics at that. And the, sure. the most disturbing society we've seen as a whole is millennials saying openly to pollsters, we don't support the First Amendment if people are saying words that upset people. And then the willingness of millennials to say, we don't care about the rule of law if the rule of law stops us from getting what we perceive as social justice. And that's no matter where you are in this politics, the fact that those two bedrock principles would be in danger is very disturbing for me, Adam. Well, I agree. I think that the court has to see itself as setting an example for the tone it sets in these debates. Uh, the court obviously is influenced by the politics, but it also influences the political culture and climate surrounding these cases. Uh, a professor I respect uh, noted on Twitter over the weekend that if you go back and look at the dissents in Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade of all cases, the conservatives that dissented didn't reach nearly the level of, uh, of, of fever pitch that you see uh, the justices reaching in these cases. Um, and I think that is ultimately going to prove corrosive to the, to the larger culture and respect for the rule of law. Adam White with the uh, Manhattan Institute and, of course, the Weekly Standard. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.